Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I got a great one for you today. It's going to be eye-opening. It's going to it's gonna freak some people out. Mira Johnson is with me. She is a CPA and a CVPM. Uh, you can hang on and we'll talk to you about what all those letters mean if you're not familiar. But she is uh, she's an accountant who works with veterinary practices, and she is talking about embezzlement. And uh, we get in and we talk a little bit about embezzlement, what it looks like. And boy, the back half of this episode is just her telling stories. It, it, it's amazing. It'll freak you out. Uh, but I think we come out at a really good place of, hey, there's some things that you can do to set up your practice uh, and uh, and to protect yourself and just to be aware of. Um, yeah, I think that's a really, it's a really good, interesting episode. It's going to breeze by. She is wonderful. Gang, uh, let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Mira Johnson. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, I I became aware of you through your writing. You you write for DVM three hundred and sixty. You write for today's veterinary practice, right? Or today's very business. Today's veterinary business. Wonderful. So I came again. Uh, I became aware of you because of your writing there. I, I like a lot of your stuff. I think you're. I think you're. I was like, wow, who is this? Who's writing kind of this neat stuff that I don't see? You have a really interesting background. You are a CPA and a certified vet practice manager, a CVPM. How did you? come to have a CPA and a CVPM? How did that happen? So the CPA was definitely my passion. I'm very organized and I love the numbers. And then I joined JFL Group, which is the CPA firm that I work for. And they had passion for veterinary industry. So I kind of fall into it. And uh, we had a lot of veterinarians, a lot of friends in there and uh, started going to the national conferences. That's when I saw actually first time you um, talking about management practices and uh, all sorts of things that I was just opening the door to a different world and I wanted to learn more. So I'm really eager to learn, self-driven, uh, self-improvement is a big part of me. And uh, when I discover the credentials a couple of years ago, I was talking and I said, well, how could I, how could I improve myself and what can I learn to getting the credentials. So it wasn't much of, I just want to be a CVPM. It was more like, what can I learn along the journey? Yeah. So that was my That's drive. Awesome. And That's I just really got cool. it a couple of years ago. Well, I think it was this year, actually. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah. That's wonderful. I, I, I love the CVPM. Uh, I think it's, it's, such a, it's such a great program. And it's just, it's wonderful to see people working in practices and kind of learning the nuts and the bolts. Um, I have nuts and bolts questions for you today. Um, I want to talk about an article that you wrote um, on embezzlement. It's called Sticky Situations. It was in a recent episode or issue of uh, the, the Today's Veterinary Business. Um, and you talked about embezzlement and you talked about the frequency with which embezzlement happens in vet practices. Can you, can you start at a high level with that? Like how, how common is in embezzlement in private practice? So based on ADMA research, it shows that one in nine practices do experience embezzlement or theft from employees. So that doesn't even include any other theft, like outside of your clients or uh, burglaries. This is definitely just employee-related theft. And I think it's a, it's a lot of a lot of people say, wow, really? One in nine? That seems like a huge number. And for like the rest of the businesses, the number is still high, but it's 75%. So right. definitely the vet industry 
is uh, much bigger. And I think Marsha Heinke, she did a study um, and in her studies, it was based on because most of the vet practices are family-based. They have a lot of close relationships or they're small. So that's where I think the higher numbers are coming from, potentially. That's that's interesting. I was going to ask you that. Like, what, why do you think this stands out? So tell me about, you think because they're family-based, what, what, what do you, why do you say that? What, what does that, what does that mean? Uh, so I don't necessarily mean just family, like close family. Um, but um, our, our firm specializes in small clinics and small practices. So we do see a lot of, you know, it's a dad with two sons. It was always their dream. And there is a son that stole from them. So it was kind of crushed dreams. Yeah. So it does happen in the family settings. There's a lot of my best friend is now my practice manager. It's a very close relationships. Yeah which I think in the big corporations, you don't have those kind of relationships inside of the corporations. Yeah, it sounds like uh, maybe there's a bit more trust and that trust gets exploited a little bit more. I don't, I don't know, I could see that. I just started thinking about it. Why would, why would vet practices be so common? And I'd say, well, we were trusting a lot. Like we tend to see the good in people uh, sometimes to our own detriments, perhaps. Tell me, uh, when, when we talk about embezzlement, what are, what are we talking about here? So like, that's, this is a big term, just, just making it sort of clear examples of embezzlement. Are we talking about people uh, manipulating credit card machines? Are we talking about taking cash out of the cash register? What does embezzlement in a, in a, in a small animal clinical practice look like? So pretty much all and above. Um, I think the statistic shows one in three are uh, monetary, which means that would be the cash stall and the credit cards, some kind of money related but the two out of three is non-monetary, which means it's the inventory, equipment, um, pretty much the food that walks out of your back door, right? That the employees take home with them for their pets, uh, payroll, paddings. Gotcha. No, that totally makes sense. Okay. So uh, I'm sort of parsing this in my mind. Yeah. So, so the majority is definitely inventory sort of walking away. Okay. I get, I get that. You talk a little bit in your article about sort of ideas about why this seems to happen and how people kind of rationalize it. So, so you know, uh, most of us, we, we look at people that we work with or we look at our, our family, uh, our best friend who's the practice manager and we go, they would, they would never, they would never steal from, from our company. You, you have some interesting ideas about, about how people mentally get their head around that. Uh, talk me through that. Yeah, and this is the part that I really enjoy talking the most about because I think a lot of people don't have the mindset that, hey, this is going to happen to me eventually. There's a good chance it will, unfortunately. And uh, the rationalization, so there is three things that have to be present for the fraud or embezzlement to occur. One is rationalization. Okay. And that is that I will tell my head in my head, like, no, I don't think there's very many people who go around and it's like, I just want to steal from somebody. Let me find somebody who I can steal from. Yeah. There, that's a small percentage of people. Most of us will go around and try to do the good in the world at least that's what I believe in. And there will be instances when we can rationalize our actions. Like, I can see that you are very successful practice and you have all these resources. Man, if I would have all these money, I would help all those stray cats or something. So yeah. you yeah. start taking money and and putting it into this nonprofit that maybe you founded or maybe you're just giving them money so you can help the greater good Right. So it's it's in your mind. It's justifiable. Or then that can be the malicious like, huh, you know, the inflation is huge. I can't even not put gas in my car anymore. I should have got a raise last year. So I'm yeah. going to take my raise because I deserve it. That makes sense. So the rationalization yeah. is a big thing. 
So rationalization is, is, is the first piece. What's, what's the second piece? So the second piece is, oh, there's opportunity. But let me talk okay. about the financial pressure, of course. So there must be a reason why you want the money. And lots of people, okay. when they say, oh, financial pressure, you know, I don't have any people that are gambling or I don't have any people that are drug addicts. I don't need to worry about that. It's like this big thing that people usually tend to think about, like, but it doesn't have to be. So it can be the keeping up with Jones, right? The coworker got a new car. Mm-hmm. I want something better. They want on this fancy vacation. It's all over the Instagram and Facebook. And I want to prove them that I can do the same thing. So there might be a different financial pressures. Um, it might be as simple as that I'm already accustomed to some lifestyle. My spouse lost a job and now I'm kind of mm-hmm. left with bills to cover and I can't afford them because I have all these monthly recurring payments, which is very common for Americans to have all these you know, car payment, mortgage and subscription for anything and everything you can think about. So to keeping up might be okay. kind of hard when there's a loss of income. So that's the financial pressure. And the last one is the opportunity, which I think this is the part that we all need to pay better attention in the clinic because this is the part that we can influence. I cannot change your vision of, you know, I need to keep our Jones different. I can't really influence that. And I can't influence your, your rationalization necessarily, but I can influence the opportunity if you do have the chance to take from me. Meaning... Talk to me about about how we do that. Yeah. I think in the in the family business or where you have long trusted employees, the thing where you're getting exposed or your clinic gets exposed is where suddenly you trust a lot and then you offload all these tasks, mm-hmm. right? Because you trust them. So um, pretty soon they're running the payroll for you and they know you don't review it because you don't have time. Or maybe yeah. you know that there isn't a procedure for receiving inventory or purchasing inventory. So those are the little things that they will start noticing. And if there is a financial pressure and if there is the rationalization, they see the opportunity and they can seize on the opportunity. So if you have strong internal controls and protect yourself, you're minimizing this. And I know there was a lot there, so. No, no, it's, this is good. So I, I want to start to parse this apart a little bit. So you talk about sort of trusting and delegating. What are, What are the big where are the big opportunities for embezzlement? So what are the things that I, that, you know, I need to be careful when I delegate away or uh, places where I want to make sure I have good internal controls specifically? Yeah. So when it comes to cash handling, that's one of the things that we see that most of the practices lack their internal control where the reception is kind of, uh, some of them don't even count the cash in the end of the day. It's kind of like, oh, once a week, I'll just take whatever cash is in there and I deposit in the bank. Well, there should be a daily reconciliation in the end of the day. And uh, it shouldn't be the receptionist who takes the money to the bank. And there should be some checks in the background. So if the if the reception is the one who does the daily closeout and creates the deposit, it should be taken into the safe. And then the owner or somebody else who is not handling the cash should take it to the bank. And then again, somebody else who is not doing either or should do the bookkeeping records and reconciliations and stuff like that in the end of the month or weekly basis. Okay, cool. And then it seems like inventory would also kind of be on that same path. If we're talking about two thirds of embezzlement is non-monetary, it sounds like inventory controls are probably more important than a lot of people think. Yes. Yes, the purchasing and accepting. So it shouldn't be the same person that can purchase the product and receive the product because then there is room for alert records. So I can say, well, I purchased seven things and we received seven things, but we only received six. 
or five and the rest I just took home. Got you. That, yeah, that never would have occurred to me. That was definitely a blind spot. It makes total sense when you say it that way. Um, okay. So any, any other areas uh, specifically that we want to make sure? I mean, the, the cash handling totally makes sense. Uh, purchasing and receiving totally makes sense. Other areas where we should make sure we have good, good control systems. Yeah, I think there's like lots of new things that surfacing uh, currently that I um, get surprised by it. So, for example, uh, most of the people probably now use Vetco for their purchasing. And Vetco has okay. the great thing that they reward you with this gift, car- gift cards, right? You can redeem a gift card. Yeah. So, I would encourage every owner I see where to, this check is going now. Okay. <laughs> to check where the gift cards are going because... Sometimes you just don't, you know, you don't see that 25 was redeemed and where it went. So if they can intercept the mail and take the gift card. So that's one of the, and you know, you think, well, that's 25 bucks, Mira, who cares? I mean, it's not a big deal, but it's usually starts, it, it, it usually up. starts small. Yeah. yeah. And then, then it adds yeah. up and uh, the average is, average stuff in veterinary medicine is $200,000. And a lot of people are like, well, I would think I would see the $200,000, but it takes about 24 months to catch the person that's stealing. And one of the reasons is because they start small and then they get greedy. Okay, so what you're saying is, is usually by the time that embezzlement sort of gets caught or reported, the the average amount we're talking about is $200,000. Is that is that correct? Yes. And it and it usually starts, so it usually starts small and then we see larger, I could, I mean, I 100% see that as people, you know, people would say, I'd never do this. And then, and then they sort of break the ice and uh, maybe it, it, every time it gets a little bit more and, and comfort levels go up and you, but wow, 200,000, that's amazing. Guys, I just want to jump in here real quick with one quick announcement. If you're a practice owner, the Uncharted Practice Owner Summit is coming. It is uh, me and my friend Stephanie Goss, the practice management guru. Uh, We are going to be leading that, heading that up. Uh, It is in person in Greenville, South Carolina. If you are a practice owner and you're like, man, I want to go to a thing that's only practice owners and work with other practice owners, head over to unchartedvet.com and check out what we're doing. Guys, that's it from me. Let's get back into the episode. How how do practices tend to catch on to these things? Do you have a sense of that? Of you know um, when when these things are brought to light, how how does that often happen? Uh, it can come from a different sources. So it can be an employee that saw something and came to you and said something. Uh, it can come from a third party. So uh, for example, usually when we prepare financial statements or reports, we do discuss it with the business owners. And we kind of go through it. So, for example, on one of the instances, we noticed that the anesthesia cost was going up and up and up, while the revenue was pretty much flat. So I brought it up to the doctor, and the doctor said, well, what are you coding in there? Like, there's no way I'm spending this much money on anesthesia. And when he looked into it, he was a bunch of Dolorex. And he said, well, I can't uh, even use this in a whole year. So then yeah. uh, he went to control substance log and... That's how I got discovered. But so that came from a third party. Also, I know that there were some merchants like credit card processors that came back and said, hey, uh, this happened actually close by in Idaho, that the receptionist was a very clever one. And when the purchases was made, she refunded it or not refunded, she returned it. So she would return product. But the product was gotcha. physically returned back. So you don't miss anything. Um, but the refund, she issued it to a different form of payment. So all these purchases are coming uh, from a business credit card 
and are being refunded to her personal bank account. Gotcha. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So that's that makes that makes a lot of sense. What should uh, what steps do do practices usually take if they know or if they suspect that this is going on? So I imagine being a business owner, and let's just say that there's something, and you say, "Oh, this has come to my attention." Where do where do people where do people go from this? Is it, is it straight to the police? It, it, how do how do people report this? What's the mechanism for that? Yeah, that's a great question. It depends. So we try to always advise our clients to not definitely not alert the person that you think it's on it and okay. also don't alert the rest of your staff because it's not always just one person there's instances when it's two people or three people so if you do have the purchasing and receiving separated maybe those two got together and they are you know taking advantage of that so definitely don't don't try to spread the news across or try to figure out uh, we also try to say don't change anything yet as far as the records, because you want to build a history. So if you mm-hmm. if you see something, you can look in the history, and if there's already like you can pinpoint it, then great, you can you can move forward. But if there's just small things, maybe just installing a camera in the practice, if it's like a cash being stolen right from the mm-hmm. client, right, like uh, fake refunds and stuff like that. Um, so from there, you could. Uh, so let's just say you have established a history, mm-hmm. then you can um, ad- contact your insurance, your lawyer, because you'll have to let that employee go. So you want to make sure that you do, do it correctly so you don't violate any other yeah. problems along the ways. And and then we always encourage to prosecute. So there is tons of practices who have all the evidence and they just want to be done. Okay, I understand that. Yeah. They're hurt and it's it's a terrible feeling like because it is your long term employee or it is your family member. And and I think in this instance is like I've seen so many people cry and, and, and just be ashamed that that's what they sure. allow to happen. And the thing is that there is all these what we call red flags. Right. So there is the employee complain, the employee did this and that. And you usually don't see it or they're very subtle till it's all gone. And when it comes down, as a whole group, you can come together and you're like, man, why do we not see it? We're such an idiot. It's like, people just beat themselves up. I would. I would be so brutal on myself. I I, I totally can see this. I, I want to talk about this, you know, just because it's, it's uh, I can see myself as as the kindly veterinarian because I, I tend to trust people and think people are are doing are doing things for the for the best um and i would i would be embarrassed i would feel so ashamed that this happened you know and like oh i can't believe that this this happened to me or, or that i was so naive and so i can completely see people being beaten up i, I want to ask you a couple different questions about this but i want to step back for a second let's talk about these these red flags so you say you know uh people people start to see red flags it sounds like a lot of times they see them in retrospect but what what are some of the red flags aside from uh, your accountant saying, hey, we have a problem. What, what are some of those red flags that people reflect back on and say, I wish I had paid more attention to that? Yeah, it depends on the position, but some of the red flags are, for example, that the employee never takes vacation because they are trying to stay in where they are. Uh, meaning if I'm the one, yeah, if I'm the one who, let's just say that I do accounts receivable fraud, which would mean that you come and pay and I say you didn't, but I have the cash now, then I have to record it. Anyway, it's it's called floating accounts receivables. 
uh, if somebody else intertwines in that role, they, it's, it's easier to discover. But if you are in there, it's much easier to attain because when the customer calls, you're like, yeah, I know you paid. Yeah, we just didn't record it yet. It will be their next statement. And then you make a note of it and you record that payment when somebody else comes in. I mean, that's that's kind of a complicated case, but um, yeah. other things can no, be I, like... I get what you're saying. Okay. So uh, yeah, other yeah. red that, flags you know, can be that the person is always the nagging one, right? Like uh, they, they, they don't like something they're talking about. The practice is, uh, I can't believe how much money the owner has. So they are, and we didn't get any bonuses this year. Did you see how much he's charging for rabies shot? Did you see how much it actually costs to buy it? You know, like there is some fat talk in the background, maybe. Um, also, I mean, the obvious that they come to the practice and they have a brand new car that's completely out of their lifestyle. So those are the, the more obvious ones. Uh, but we had once that at the clinic that the doctor's like, I can't believe I didn't see this. Like there was a bloody needle in the lady's bathroom and the employee walked out without a sock on her foot, just completely high. And you're just like feeling bad for the person because she had some other problems. And you were like, you look back and you're like, well, that's obvious, but it wasn't yeah, because she had lack of sleep. Yeah. You know, her her husband kicked her out of the house the night before. So it was kind of like, it all makes sense to you because you're this compassionate person. You just go and buy her coffee and pretty soon you're just like, wait, what? What just happened? Yeah, well, wait a second. Yeah, I, 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 can, I, can, I can believe it. We sort of tie ourselves up in knots. All of that stuff, um, all that stuff makes sense. Um, where, do you have any resources that you recommend? Where can people learn more if they're a small business owner or they're, you know, they're, they, yeah, they just want to investigate more or, or try to understand more how they can protect themselves. What, what, what out there can be helpful for them? Yeah, I think the first thing that I would do is to look into the internal controls. And if you have no clue what that means, that's fine. You at least take the, take the time that you're trying to understand. So reach out to your CPA or accountant and say, hey, how can I improve my process and just explain what you do? And they will give you some suggestions on what can be done differently. So I would start there. And then uh, one of the things that I always in tell people is to start with yourself. So if if I, as a practice owner, come to the clinic and take the dog food and just walk out in the back door and it doesn't go through any system, you're just showing that it's possible to get out of the clinic with a bag of food mm -hmm. with no trace. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I never would have thought that, but it, it totally makes sense. Inventory counting, count your inventory, utilize your practice management software. Um, there's great technologies out there that you can utilize. I know it takes time and effort, but there's just so much that you can do and automate to protect yourself. So to learn more, uh, you can reach out to your practice management software rep and said, hey, I would like to start tracking all the inventory in the software. Where do I start? How do I do this? I know there is some restrictions on permissions. How can I do this? Uh, so there's only one person that can receive or whatever, how many you want, but certain people that can receive mm -hmm. the product and some people who can do the purchase order. Uh, so your accountant, practice management software, uh, you know, the vendors have some great ideas too. You would not believe uh, some drug ribs. They tell us some crazy stories about how people resell the free samples to the to the practice and then pocket the money. And so there's also oh, wow. 
weird thing. And since I've been talking about fraud, there's just like all these people who come to me and said, um, we were just speaking at the Western last year in Vegas, this year in Vegas. And there was a guy who stood up and said, I want to share a story. It it doesn't matter how it happens, but he, he has tears in his eyes. And he said, it was my best friend. We grew up together. I gave him jobs. He was paid well. We were having picnics on the weekends, and it was, you know, 150 or whatever. I can't remember the exact amount. And that's just so hurtful to me that you have to experience that, and then you beat yourself up. So if I can leave you with one thing is to please don't beat yourself up. I think it happens (laughs) to the best of us. And another thing is please don't panic because there is things that now you will be like, oh, my receptionist just said that her utility is going to be shut down because she can't make the payment. So it shouldn't be like, oh my gosh, she's going to steal from me. It should be more yeah. like a antenna should come up like, ding, like that's a red flag, right? But it doesn't mean yeah. that because she's asking for advance that now she's like going to take from me. But yeah, it's easy when you start going down this path, you can start imagining, it's easy to start imagining you're like, fraud is everywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I love I love this approach. I love just talking about th- that it's real. I think most of us just don't have any idea or we don't ever want to think that could happen in our practices. Um, and, and so I really appreciate you sort of coming on and talking about it. And you really humanize it and make it go like, okay, you know, I, I get it. I can I can definitely see how it happened. I think I, I really like the phrase, uh, keeping honest people honest. And I, I think that that's kind of how I like, like to look at these things is to say, I don't want to live in a world of, of fear or, uh, you know, mistrusting people. At the same time, it's just smart to build good systems that, first of all, they help you run a better business and a better practice. And then also, they just sort of keep honest people honest. Um, and, and and you just never have to deal with these things. And so I, I, I sort of, I love your approach as you sort of lay these steps out. Yeah, I didn't mean to be completely like a downer, like, oh my gosh, you're going to have to do all this and don't <laughs> trust know. anyone. So I, I do want to say one more thing, and that is, Sure. We have a saying in my homeland, I'm from Slovakia originally, that we say, which means trust, but check, which means you <laughs> can delegate that. all these things, but you have to have a system in place that you can just verify that's happening. I love because, it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. The people are the biggest asset that the veterinary clinic has, in my opinion, because they are the ones yeah. who will lift you up and Mira, where where can people find you? Tell me about tell me about the firm that you're with. Tell me about the work that you do. Uh, where can people learn more from you? Yeah, so our firm is called JFL Group. We're CPAs for veterinarians. You can find us on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram. I'll put a I'll put a link in the show notes as well. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, CPAs for veterinarians, and we do help small practices, startups to grow, start their practice of their dreams, and help them manage it. Very nice. Thanks so much for being here. Guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And that is our show. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. A big thanks to Mira for uh, being here. Guys, if you enjoy the show, um, there's a couple things you can do. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Uh, that's wonderful. If you're not, um, give, me a, give me a rating. Give me a review wherever you get your podcast. Apple Podcasts is, is a big place. It really is how people find the show. Um, but yeah, you can, I always love your feedback and it's just a kind thing that you can do if you're, if you're liking what we're doing. Anyway, gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. 
I just want to take a quick second and give a big shout out to our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital for making the transcriptions of this podcast possible. The podcast transcripts are brought to you thanks to a generous gift from Banfield Pet Hospital, which is striving to increase accessibility and inclusivity all across the veterinary profession. If you would love to find out more about the DEI initiatives for Banfield, you can head on over to the link in the show notes.